due to the type of interviews conducted, we are not recording in the studio. Some audio may not be clear. The goal of our Support Our White Troops segment is to bring light to the experiences of people of color and of members of the LGBTQ plus community that serve in the United States military. Thank you for listening to the American Dream Isn't Real podcast. Is Good morning. This- <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> is it morning over there? It is 523 <laughs> in, the, oh. in the afternoon. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, let me do a proper introduction. <laughs> <laughs> this is M.E. Williams Books on the American Dream Isn't Real for my special segment called Support Our White Troops. And I have a member of the Air Force. And you can introduce yourself. Don't say any names. It's probably too dangerous right now. So uh, <laughs> you can oh. introduce yourself if you want. Oh, so no names. No, I'm not going to say my name. But don't say, yeah. Don't say um, your name. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, um, I'm her friend. We're co-workers. Um, we both, you know, can consider ourselves as troops and uh, Black troops. So, yeah, thanks for inviting me to your podcast. I tell her to introduce herself, and she introduced both of us. All right, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> they don't care about me. They care about who I am to you. <laughs> oh, my God. So... For those of you who don't know, this is our second time recording because the first time I messed up. The first time was a really good interview, though. <laughs> it was juicy, wasn't it? It was good. It was good. Um, and the news cycle has moved, so now we have like totally different topics to talk about. But that's okay. Some things stay the same. Some things stay the same, you know. Yeah, true. Um, and an earlier session is because she's deployed right now. <laughs> And we're in different time zones. So thank you for taking the time. <laughs> Even though you've been dodging me, that's okay. Come on now. I knew you was going to come. <laughs> I knew you was going to do that. I was waiting for it. Someone told me you was working hard, but I just feel like you were avoiding me. But it's okay. I feel like, I, why are you lying? It's okay. You know good. <laughs> it's okay. No I would excuses. never. I would never. <laughs> So this interview is all about you and your perspectives. Um, but you can feel free to ask me questions as well. I don't mind. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll start off with some light questions. And but like I think the first time I interview, I started off like with like hard questions. So uh, uh, yeah, just, you I'm went just, straight <laughs> for the throat. You definitely I'm just, did. <laughs> I'm gonna just ease into it. Um, so where are you from? Yeah. So I am born and raised North Kakalaki, Tar Hill oh, Nation. I don't know who that is, where that is. That's North Carolina, best state in 50, 51, 52, how many ever there are. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so North Carolina, born and raised. Um, I would consider myself like a small town girl. Uh, yeah, big family, youngest of six. So that's a little That's a little bit of me. Six. My family's so big, six. too. I have four. I'm the oldest of four, but I have a lot of cousins, too. You have a lot of cousins? So... Mama side, I got endless cousins. Like everybody just <laughs> have, it don't stop. I'm not one like that, but I'm telling you, like I literally you have a huge family. Yeah, oh, it's huge. My mom is like the youngest or close to the youngest of like eleven. So, hey, mom. hey, mama, <laughs> I made it. <laughs> so you said you from North Carolina, and I was gonna bring this up at first. I so I remember you from North Carolina, and I don't think that I asked you the first time. But 
North Carolina had that bathroom bill, right? For, mm-hmm. uh, like, against uh, transgender people. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, did, one- did they end up losing a lot of money because of that? Because didn't sports, like, some of the uh, teams or whatever pulled out? Wow. So I think the bathroom bill didn't end up. I feel like it didn't end up going through. I need to. Okay. I'm yeah, like, I need to do my research I on that. I like totally out of. I don't know why they just came to my mind. <laughs> yeah. But I need to look into that. North Carolina had going through some things. That's also where the uh, Nazis had to rally, right? No, no, no. Charlottesville, that was Virginia, right? That was Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. So, we- are you sure? No, that was Virginia. You sure? I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Virginia. Because I was like, Charlotte, but no. I'm about to take some notes, follow up on this. Uh-uh. <laughs> Let me do some research. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, girl, that's the South, so you know we got some mess going on. You know we a hot mess. Mm. I'm going to say they, they a hot mess, you know, but <laughs> you know, I'm part of <laughs> I'm a little bit part of that. <laughs> so, you're the youngest, you're from North Carolina. What made you decide yeah. to join the military? Or what year did you join, actually? So five years ago, 2013, I literally started the process of joining like during my senior year and a few months after graduation, I was off to basic training. Did you always know you uh, wanted to be in the military then? Or was it just like a last minute senior year thing? How did that happen? Girl, girl no, I, did, I knew, I mean, I feel like I've always been, I'm trying not to use the word woke, but I've always been a little bit conscious kind of like, you know. I would say, when I say our place, I would say Black people's uh, place in society, like treatment and just the stuff that, that we had to go through. Is that because you're from the South in North Carolina? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know, yeah. I would say that's the biggest part. Growing up mm. in the South, growing up where my mama could tell me lots of, you know, crazy outlandish stories of what she went through in the town that, you know, we ended up living in and like growing up around a lot of... So the high school that I went to in North Carolina, literally, there were people who. Wow. People just hang it up mid-interview. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> literally, I texted you and I was like, what did that say? I said, what, what did it say? I was like, yeah, I was like, hello. Okay. Yeah, I was going to wait for you to call me. And I was like, what's she doing? And then I look and I ain't got no bars. Like, I ain't got no. <laughs> It's cool. We forgive you. You defended the nation. Okay, whatever. Oh, <laughs> you don't do me like that. You know I'm not here struggling. <laughs> okay, we're going to start where we left off. You were explaining how you ended up joining the military, and you were in yeah. your last year of high school. Yeah, so that's last the last year. thing I heard. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy, girl. I was running my little mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I started the process of joining the Air Force in my last year of high school so my senior year I was uh I would say I was still figuring it out senior year like definitely uh weighing the options what, what options what were all your options that you had so the, the option was you know so one go to community college or so use some Pell Grants and you know work your little part-time job or whatever until you can save up and move out of mama house Option two, I had good grades, but I didn't apply for anything like state scholarships and stuff like that. But number two was, you know, your your grades is pretty good. You can get into a school if you wanted to go to school, get in debt, but, you know, go to school and, you know, get a skill or whatever that you can that you can get a job with. 
but still be working a part-time job or whatever on the side, you know, because you got to eat, you got to do whatever. My mama didn't make got money like that. So, right. <laughs> and then the <laughs> third option was like join the military or join Job Corps or do something like that to where I was going to leave and um, be able to just get a foundation started that wouldn't require me to have a part-time job. So at that time, since I was 16, I was working at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it's a lot of people's first job yeah a lot of people I know anyway <laughs> yeah either that or some kind of fast food you know right but at that time in my life like even though I literally <laughs> like my picture is still on the wall up there in McDonald's I literally enjoyed it so much like I enjoyed customer service I enjoyed meeting new people I enjoyed the people who I worked with for the most part but the, literally the thought I used to have um, co-workers so you know you got people from all ages that work fast food jobs mm-hmm. but I used to have co-workers come back from college uh, like summers and breaks and stuff and be working there and I literally was just like this can't that can't be life like when I thought about going off to college before it's just like oh yeah I'm off to college like you're just in school but it didn't take until like seeing people coming back and you know still working next to me at McDonald's so I was like oh man like it was like I, oh it's not a movie oh my god <laughs> I still gotta eat they still you know even if they have a full ride like you still need money you know and yeah. that money was gonna come uh, from anywhere else outside of me working for it so I was like wow like this can't be life like I enjoyed the job but I was like on a countdown I thought you know once I'm grown I definitely need to be making moves I need to be not in my hometown working here you know oh, okay is that more because you wanted to get out and you want to go away to college or is it because you're just your expectations just met reality of what was actually happening <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely say the latter. Like, it wasn't, I'm a mama's girl through and through. I'm a family girl through and through. Like, right now, if I could be in my hometown making, you know, doing a a job that I preferred and, like, making decent money, I would be because I would be right on top of my family. Like, come live with me. Like, (laughs) I love being around family. But it was just the thought of, like, not looking down on fast food or anything like that, but it was the thought of me, like, yo, being an adult and still having the same, like, career arrangements as, as I did as a child I was like this can't be life you know you know it's crazy now that you mentioned that um I have this debate with there's a libertarian who I work with <laughs> in the office and yeah. we always have this debate because for him he doesn't believe that um people who are older who work at McDonald's should have should make $15 an hour right or any not just McDonald's but like any minimum wage he doesn't think it should be $15 an hour because he says he thinks they should try harder so almost every day I'm trying to explain to him how the like economy has changed. <laughs> and yeah. at first McDonald's, yeah, it used to be somewhere where like, you know, teenagers can go to make them some money, maybe pay for their like little cell phone bill or gas or something, you know. But now it seems like it's like adults. <laughs> it's like people with families. They have people to feed, people relying on them. Yeah. So anyway, that's just a little side note. <laughs> no, that's a good side note, because people I would say, I would explain it to uh, say that people are so inconsiderate, like, or like, they lack empathy. And it blows my mind, because it's like, they were like, oh, no, you know, you don't deserve a livable wage, because, you know, you could have just went to school, or you could have just did that. But people don't realize that, hey, everybody doesn't come from the background that you come from. Everybody isn't dealing with the same things as you. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, Sometimes the options that you think are easy, and you could say that you, I know everyone can literally look in their own life and see that they had an option 
they probably to the outside world seemed to be like you know clear cut and easy but it wasn't mm-hmm. that way so you know people yeah. talk like that it's like why in your little mind is that okay for you to think that people should be people deserve to be struggling <clears throat> i think it's because of the different backgrounds you're right i think you can look back and see like dang i wish i would have did this different <laughs> yeah even me like my whole path to join the military was it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy really? i never thought i would be in the military well so like i always wanted to do two things either i wanted to study criminology and criminal justice and become mm. a police officer or i want to be a veterinarian <laughs> two totally different things <laughs> <laughs> but at the time i really loved math but i didn't like science so I, I I will admit I was a little afraid to like go to study to be a veterinarian because I thought I would fail out and I was not used to failing anything in my life yeah so I ended up studying criminal justice not saying it's an easier major it was just something I didn't have to do like a lot of sciences I, I focused on math more than science to get my yeah. master's degree so um after that long story short I didn't end up doing the police, which I'm happy for now with all the things that are happening. I still love like studying criminology. I respect the police, but I don't know if I would be able to do that job in this current climate. Yeah. So that kind of led me to being in the military because I had student loans. Like you mentioned before, you didn't want student loans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had student loans that I finally paid back this March, but I had student oh. loans and I want to work for the FBI, but they were going to do a hiring freeze at the time because the whole like government was being shut down and all this other stuff so i just know i needed to like i need to pay off my debt because i feel like you can only be free if you're financially free in america today yes i'm saying that money is happiness or anything i'm saying like it's impossible to have true freedom (laughs) in america if you owe somebody money so um so i ended up joining the military for that and also because I still wanted a chance at the FBI, so I wanted to study languages, and I felt like the yeah. military was offering that without me having to take out more student loans to study a language. Yeah. So, and that's that's kind of that's like a short story of kind of what happened. So, <laughs> but if I could go back, I probably would have just like became a veterinarian instead of taking this long route because now when I separate, I'm going to school to be a veterinarian. <laughs> hindsight is 2020 man always Always. (laughs) so let's see you joined in 2013 yeah um it's 2018 now have you seen any major changes in military culture or this let's say military culture right now yeah oh definitely so i came in right on the end of the air force drama that was happening at basic training you know what i'm talking about when i say that like the, the sexual assaults and sexual yeah, so yeah. right on the end of that, you know, or right at the, I kind of like the transition for that, I guess, is the time around the time when we were just joining. Mm-hmm. So that was a very, I would say, interesting little two months we had because although you joined, you, sorry, you joined late 2013. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like people, even though it wasn't, you know, as super recent. People were still very, you know, cautious when it came to any kind of like sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual. Why? Hello, Hello, (laughs) ma'am. 
I was just okay. watching Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> what um, you watching on Netflix? Uh, what am I watching right now? Orange is the New Black season six. Me too. Me too. Well, how far are you? I'm on episode six. Oh, you're ahead of me. I just started. I usually get it done in the weekend, but this time I've been trying to pace myself. <laughs> so I had something to watch. <laughs> I, but okay yeah okay let's we're gonna we can talk about what new black after okay okay <laughs> good okay um so when you joined at the end of 2013 you were it was like right after all the like sexual harassment sexual assault and basic training pretty much yeah for the air force yeah so that so i would say the culture was very like everybody was on was on eggshells or at least that's how it seemed to me but you know what? The culture in the beginning of a, you know, when you first join, we're in training and stuff like that. So you don't really get to see the raw culture of like mm-hmm. people who we say are like, you know, you're not new anymore when everybody gets comfortable and stuff like that. But yeah, the culture was very, it was very serious. Like people didn't play around much. Like even I would say when people were hanging out and stuff, uh, when we weren't as like being watched or nothing was as strict, like it still had that culture of like, we were all so quote unquote blue or like so quote unquote like Air Force indoctrinated that I didn't feel that people were like comfortable at all. Like it felt like people were still, mm. you know, concerned because, you know, nobody wants to yeah. get in trouble, especially when you first you first join the service, you you're scared. <laughs> like nobody wants to get kicked out for something silly. Yeah. You don't want to get kicked out. You don't want to get sent to bed holes. Yeah. You just want to get out of there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you just want to mind your business, keep your head down. At least for the people who, you know, who ready to be grown or ready to, you know, who had came in there for a reason outside of leaving mom and daddy's house. Like, we ain't got time to be messing around. So, yeah, it was very serious. And, and just, yeah, everybody was worried. Are we breaking up right now? Can you hear me? Hello? Oh my gosh. I'm literally holding the phone up to the sky. (laughs) Hello? Hello? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Oh, you can't hear me. This is going to be the funniest interview. This is going to be the funniest playback. (laughs) The worst. You know what? I I won't even tell you how much I paid for Wi-Fi out here. Because you know we ain't got no phone service. But I paid a... You want to know? Yep. I paid $98. Woo! A month? I paid $98. So I was originally paying $60, but yeah, a month. Mm, Which they know. They know you're American and you need that Wi-Fi. Girl, I literally oh, and I was like, just take more of my money. Like, please give me a signal. Lord. <laughs> I'm so mad about this right now. That's how it is. And I feel like they always charge more at military bases because they know we're gonna yeah. pay. True. We gotta like, try. Like all through basic training, I remember like the internet being super expensive. <laughs> or not basic training, but like the uh training. Yeah. I've but, seen um, that. <laughs> okay so yeah so that, with your, you and your janky internet so <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you came into the military 
with like just yeah. this idea of sexual harassment, sexual assault, but still yeah. wanting to make it through. So yeah, in and- that sense, I guess go ahead. No, yeah. So that was the only like at that point in my life, even though I, I felt like I was conscious about, you know, our like black people's issues and stuff with society and like issues with different uh infrastructures like not being forced at that point in my life my biggest concern was uh struggles as a woman so I wasn't struggles as a black woman in the service hadn't crossed my mind at all yet and even mm-hmm. though I was um, concerned with uh issues like as a black woman or mm-hmm. as a black person in general that wasn't at the forefront of my mind my mind was like yeah you're a young girl watch out for these dudes and watch out for these girls at the same time you know because mm-hmm. anybody can uh be a perpetrator for sexual harassment sexual assault or whatever so mm-hmm. compared to now I would say the biggest culture difference for me that I've seen is that now I can I see the racial uh the racial I wouldn't say I don't want to go straight to divide but I see how big that race affects like at least the culture that from my perspective in the yeah. air force yeah you just see the like, change yeah oh yeah Oh, yeah. And it might just because, you know, now I don't, yeah, I don't feel that fear as a woman as much. Now I'm more, I'm more concerned with like how I'm presented as a black woman and how people interact with me as a black woman uh, compared mm-hmm. to just being a woman before. So I would say that's the biggest uh, shift that I've seen in people. I think, I feel like my trajectory was kind of was the same because I like joined at the beginning in 2014. Um, and the first thing my dad said, the first thing he mentioned was like the sexual assault when yeah. I told him I wanted to join the Air Force. <laughs> so we had this long conversation about that. So I think I was more worried about that aspect of it too, you know, just being a woman. But then over time, from my own personal experiences, it changed to being like, okay, yeah, I'm a black woman. <laughs> yeah. Not saying I ever forgot, you know, but I think part of it too, like growing up in like St. Louis, it's kind of more insulated in the fact that like there's a lot more minorities in St. Louis than there are like in Missouri. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like I was comfortable in feeling that yes, there's racism, but I'm protected. But as soon as I left that protection and like after a couple years been in the Air Force, I'm like, dang, I thought I was protected. <laughs> right. <laughs> But obviously not, you know? Yeah. So in my head in the beginning, it was like, okay, you're a girl. So mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't, oh, you're black. It was like, oh, you're a girl. So, you know, watch yourself in like, you know, a male-driven career field. Like, yes, you know. yes, but now, exactly. Like, I don't feel that, like, and then I thought I was protected by that camaraderie too. Because when you first joined the military, mm-hmm. you know, you're taught like, you know, kind of like this brotherhood uh never leave an airman behind yeah that you have <laughs> and you're like okay but, um, you feel safe you know you feel like y'all are all on the same page y'all are all for the same mm-hmm. y'all just a all, common goal yeah you know and that they, they're gonna protect you and look out for you and then you're just mm-hmm. like okay but remember that you're a woman so kind of just keep that in the back of your mind but now it's like i've realized that these are all everybody who's in the military is a uh, I would say a magnified like uh mm. what is it mm. it's like a magnified mm. group of people who are 
who are like a reflection. Regular civilians. Yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's magnified because we're in the military. We're literally like the freaking test tube <laughs> yep, of the US, yep. you know? As soon as you said magnified, I was like, mm, she's so, she's so right. <laughs> <laughs> like every- so then, like, how do you feel like, I guess now with progressing, like as a black woman served in the military and with the current climate of what's going on in society and our government, do you feel like there are any like contradictions with yourself, <laughs> with the way you view yourself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Like yes. just like overall, just how do you feel about it? Girl, I knew where you were going with that question. And I was like, <laughs> I'm reasoning with myself a little bit better now, but for the longest time, especially in the last, I would say two years or so, the biggest way I would describe myself uh, in that regard is like a sellout. I felt like a sellout, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. if you wake up every day and you know, you're pretty much just like, even though I'm not a slave, I don't know. I just felt like super disloyal and I felt and I still feel this way a little bit because it's like I'm serving this system that number one, doesn't seem to care about me at all. Doesn't keep seem to care about the people that I care about. And it's just like my, we love to say that we're, you know, putting our lives at risk, which we are. And to me that like eats me up. And even to this day, you know, I'm deployed or whatever, but it eats me up. That's like, literally if something happened, you know, my family, they're not going to have me anymore. And, you know, people are going to cry and people are going to be sad or whatever. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to mourn if you multiple people, you know, got hurt or something like that, they're going to mourn us all. But I honestly, in my heart, but you know, I'll be hurt then, but honestly, and the people who care about me, they will know that I'm not as important as the next person beside me because I'm a Mm -hmm. black woman. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I will just say, yeah, I definitely feel like there's a contradiction in myself. Like I feel just conflicted with being like, hey, like these people don't care about me, but I have so much at risk right now serving this system. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because we, we can't just up and quit this. You know what I mean? Like you can have. You're going to go to prison. Yeah. You can go to prison. <laughs> you know, what's, what's better? Because I, you know, I want to make a, have a good foundation to where I can take care of the people I care about and take care of myself and, you know, make a better life for us all. But at the same time, it's like, you still got to have a conscience, you know, and you still got to wake up every day and see your face and know that when people look at that face, it's a whole nother story, you know, regardless of if you're in uniform or not. It's it's not a good feeling at all. I definitely feel, um, yeah, it's it's stressful. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really hard to navigate, especially when you're like, Sometimes I feel like I'm at the bottom, right? Especially living in America. America is great. Don't don't get me wrong. I think America is like one of the best countries in the world, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like as a black woman, I'm like at the bottom. Mm. So for me, I think I've always had this like, you know, walking a fine line. And then I don't know, you've seen you've seen seven seconds, right? Yeah. On Netflix. Mm. Do you remember when the guy, he was in the Air Force and he said, he said, it was something like, if I die overseas, I'm a hero. If I die back home, I'm a thug. 
And ain't neither one of those things true? Do you remember that? Oh, man. I remember it faintly, but that just... That's like... That's how I... That basically, like, when I heard that quote, I was like, that's how I felt every day. <laughs> that's really how I feel. Because I, like... In the beginning, like you said, like, I felt like it was camaraderie, like, everybody got my back. You know, besides being a woman, I didn't think, like, color mattered, you know? Yeah. But besides being a woman, I felt pretty insulated, like you're saying. Yeah, safe. But then over time, I think, actually, I started, like, getting super depressed after Mike Brown died. Don't get me wrong. Trayvon Martin, I remember that happening, and, like, it rocked my world. But then... Once my I was I wasn't in the military when Trayvon Martin died though when he was murdered. Yeah, I was in the military when Mike Brown was murdered, and listening to my fellow members of the military talk about Mike Brown the way they did, I think that just changed my entire perspective on being an airman. <laughs> yeah, and what it actually meant for me to serve the country, a country who I felt like didn't love me so I feel like I can be deployed and I can die and it wouldn't mean anything to anybody except my family just like you said <laughs> even though we all supposed to have each other back that's real I definitely say I definitely say that that's kind of around that period of time or when I started seeing these you know young black men black women you know on Facebook or Instagram or whatever when I when we started seeing people get killed, you know, and like hearing about it, even when we didn't see it, hearing about it. And I don't know. Yeah, it definitely applies, especially when you go into work today. And like you say, you're, our lives like, we're just shook to the core and then you go into work and then nobody else outside of people like us are even affected. At all. I remember one yeah. time I was sitting out and I think it, I'm not sure it was around the Mike Brown time. But I remember sitting in my car just crying. No, yeah, it was Eric mm-hmm. Gardner. Eric Gardner, yeah. Yeah, when I first saw what happened to him, I literally was sitting in my car crying, like, boo-booing, eyes puffy and red. And, like, the people I had talked to, like, my, my family and stuff, when we were talking about it, we're all, like, this felt like our day that we felt like zombies. And then you walk into work. And it's like nobody else feels that. Nobody else is even like shook at all by that. And it's like, wow, you just it kind of it's like another day to them. It didn't even like hit their radar that it was something happening, something wrong at all, at all. Or or like you said, you hear people talk about it because you know it. Maybe you know maybe they do. uh, They have heard about it or whatever. But when you hear them talk about it, it's nowhere near as like traumatizing it doesn't affect them as much at all or you hear them like you know reason with whatever reason why they think it's okay or you know why it shouldn't bother you and it's just like it just makes you yeah it just opens your eyes to that and that was definitely like life-changing for me yeah like now like when I when I look at it it reminds me of like the way they treated crack as like you know it's the person's fault they're all criminals versus how they're treating like the opioid addiction now. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. now everybody needs to get treated because it's hitting middle American families and not just minorities. Mm-hmm. And I do, I think all, I think, I do think addiction 
is a sort of disease. I just think it's sad that it had to hit like middle American white people before they realized the same thing. <laughs> or they already, maybe they realized the same thing and they just didn't care. Yeah. And I think that's it. A lot of people just don't care when it doesn't, when it doesn't feel life threatening to you. Cause when we see these people, not only is it hurtful cause somebody lost their lives, but we see our brothers, we see our sisters, we see ourselves and it feels life threatening. So even if it's a young man in Missouri, you know, dying, I see my brother. So that's scary. Mm-hmm. I see myself. So that's scary. Like it literally feels like when, when, you know, when one of us gets hurt, it feels like, you know, it feels personal because it is. And it's like, and you've been deployed since that happened, but have you heard of uh, Neil Wilson? You know what happened to her? The young lady who was stabbed on the uh, train? Oh, yes. Was it a train? Okay, so you, I'm like subway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a subway train. They're, they're yeah. stabbing her and her uh, little sister. Yeah, her sister, yeah. yeah. You just reminded me of that because you're right. Like, I like, the more I watch this stuff, so I started, I started going to mental health on base, the mental health clinic, and like the doctor told me I had PTSD. Mm, yeah. From this, from you know, from being black in America, I had PTSD. So basically, I didn't feel safe unless I was in uniform, going straight to work and straight back home. Shoot. I didn't do anything. Like I mean, I'm already an introvert. Yeah. We know this. <laughs> but it was like multiplied by like times ten. Like I felt. Like, I was literally going to die if I walked out of my house to do something. Mm, girl. That's how I felt. And now, like, I w- I've been getting better about it, you know, doing, you know, working on it. But then, like, this Neil Wilson thing happened. It's like, she- they were minding their business. <laughs> it wasn't an incident with, like, a police officer that they can, like, make up, you know, some some story about why it was justified she was like they were just in a, a public place minding their own business somebody hateful that just hate them because how they look and now she's dead like that's heavy the fact it that is. you know a doctor can say yo you literally you know are traumatized because of this like that's super heavy that's crazy yeah and the fact that it keeps happening randomly and the fact that it's like no justice, you know? Yeah, that's it'd be different if it'll be different if like because like obviously like racists kill <laughs> racists don't like a lot of minorities. Yeah. We know that. But I think it starts to feel unsafe when you like your people or you aren't getting any justice. Cause then you just feel hopeless at that point. Yeah. And what are you going to do? Are you going to fight back? And then it's still going to be blamed on you. True. It it seems like when you see, we see the people in different backgrounds. Like we see like Trayvon Martin, a young boy walking. We see his his documentary just was on BET yesterday too. What was uh, uh, Trayvon Martin? Yeah, Trayvon Martin. Yeah. Oh, I got to catch it up. I got to catch up on it. Yeah, but when you see all these people from different backgrounds, you know, doing different things, reacting different ways, and still getting killed in the end, and still getting demonized in the end, like like you said, like that makes you feel hopeless. Like when people just come, oh, you gotta just uh, do this with the cops, you gotta do that, or you just gotta not be here, you just gotta not be there. Like nah, like we're we're seeing it for our own eyes that it doesn't matter. 
what the situation is. And at the end of the day, if one of us dies, the person who murdered us is going to get off scot-free for the most part. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, I say, I would say that's the most depressing part because people love to say, oh, yeah, the more people die, and I, you know, you've heard this, when more people die from black-on-black crime than, you know, getting killed by cops. But what they don't realize is there's a difference between somebody killing you and the whole force of the law ready to put them under the cell than somebody killing you and instead of the law saying, yo, somebody lost their life, the person who took their life needs to, you know, they need to own up to that situation. They need to be, they need to be punished for that situation. The, the law will be like, what way can I find out? How can I let, get this person off? Or how can I reason with the fact that you died? And it's way different. Mm-hmm. That whole justice aspect of it is what really breaks the whole situation. Cause it's like, if somebody kills me and I know that, I know that there's risk involved with killing me. Like I know that the law, like you're going to have to face the law if you kill me. It makes me feel mm-hmm. a little bit more comfortable than knowing like, hey, there's somebody in a certain kind of uniform that if if they end up killing me, there's precedence that, hey, they might can get off of it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a totally different feeling. And that's why I hate when people, they try to make it seem like, oh yeah, more people die from this or there's risk in dying from that, or people. I hate the. I like really dislike the term "black on black crime" because it's a myth. Not saying that black people don't kill black people, yeah, but it's the same as like white people kill white people all the time. I never hear white on white crime. Exactly. I never hear people saying that. Yeah. <laughs> it all has to do with where you live and proximity to people. True. And that's really the truth. Yeah. So, and you are absolutely correct. I think the whole thing that makes a big difference is getting justice for something. Yeah. Otherwise, like society fails, it all breaks down. <laughs> the entire system will break down. It's I think it's slowly breaking down. I'm about to say it's already but, broken um, for us, but as a whole- yeah, it's already broken for us. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, I feel like it would have to be broken for everybody else in order for them to see what we see. Oh, you know it. Just like you were saying with the opioid uh, addiction, like yeah, it has to hit home to the people who have you know in our case, has the most power before anything changes. So with, um, so with that, right, you mentioned, like, it don't matter. Like, they tell you, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. Um, that leads me into, like, Barry's Waste protests, right? Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, like, if you're going to protest, protest how you want to, because they will always have an excuse or like have a reason for you not to do it people love martin luther king right now but before people did not like dr martin luther king jr (laughs) they didn't like him yeah yeah they didn't like him and he wore a suit michael max wore a suit they were both assassinated Mm, girl so telling people that they don't need to be like they're, they're in street clothes that's why they're being targeted no that's not why it's because the system doesn't like when you fight back <laughs> that's the only reason it doesn't matter how you look it doesn't matter what you wear and I think that's been evident. Like we're seeing that now with how the NFL is handling handling the kneeling, right? Yeah. Colin Kaepernick was very. He didn't say anything. He sat. <laughs> he yeah. sat on the bench. He was minding his business, and they still got mad at him. He even spoke with someone else in the military, and he asked him to take a knee, and he did. He took a knee. Yeah. 
But then they changed the rhetoric to say, oh, he's like against the flag and against America. Yeah, you know, they try to find some way to make it what is make it about what it's not about to distract from what we're talking about. Which is the reason I'm doing this little segment to support our white troops, because I feel like when Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick took that knee, he did something like we can't do that in uniform, obviously. True. So I feel like I feel like Colin Kaepernick was doing that for me and for like all the other, you know, minorities in this country and for people who died unlawful deaths. Yeah. Who've been murdered. And now all of a sudden it's about the troops. And it's like, am I a troop? Are you a troop? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> as a troop, as a troop, how do you feel about it? So when people they love that's their whole excuse. They're like, Oh, you're disrespecting the service members, you're disrespecting, say, fallen service members or whatever. But when I'm I can look you in your eyes and tell it like he is pro like how you said he is processing. For me and you, like he's protesting for like us, like I'm a troop. I'm affected by this. Like I feel why he's protesting. And they're like, oh, nah, nah, nah. Like it, it still is like, it's like one in one ear and out the other. Like it doesn't matter the fact that everybody in the service isn't a white male. Like there are oh, exactly. who have to serve <laughs> and still deal with these issues. But it's, I think when most people, what most people think of uh, think of troops, they think of what your title says. They think of a like a white troop. They think of a white man. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that there are a multitude of other people serving. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't feel any type of way. Well, I should know a straight a straight white male, like, straight, yeah, a heterosexual white male. <laughs> That's um, what they think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was I said I didn't feel the type of way, but I felt a type of way because I felt like wow, a celebrity is not only making a statement that says you know, he cares, but he's doing it. Um, in a sense, he's risking, he's risking a lot. You know what I mean? And I, he, he risks a lot. He has, he's been blackballed. Yeah. Like, okay. it's, it's out there. Yeah. He's suing the NFL right now for it. And I hope he wins. I sure do, girl. I really do. <laughs> if he has a GoFundMe right now, like my little money will be in that account. I will help. I mean, you know, he ain't hurting for a dollar, but Yes. You know they just passed. This happened since you've been going too. Like the NFL just passed the rule. Like either you have to stay in the locker room, or you have to stand on the field. Yeah. And Jerry Jones, the the leader, the owner of the Cowboys, said none of his players are standing in the locker room. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a good compromise? Do you think like what? What do you think? So. Knowing that it's so this is sports, right? And I know that mm-hmm. the anthem and standing for it has been around, you know, probably since a couple of wars ago or whatever. Nope. Actually it's really new. How new is it? Is it not new? It's it's pretty new. It's like it ha- I'm pretty sure it's like within the two thousands. Like wow. it's a new thing. Dang. Well see, yeah. In the NFL. <laughs> wow. I mean teams, I'm I'm pretty sure and any listeners can correct me. I'm not like you know, yeah. I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure in the NFL, the teams used to stay in a locker room before, like, if they played the national anthem, they stayed in the locker room. Yeah. It wasn't until, like, the DOD started giving the NFL money is when they started standing. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I think, I mean, the crazy part about it is, is that minorities literally 
are the backbone of the majority of sports, especially oh my. Yes. Especially basketball. So that's one crazy thing that, you know, people care more about angry fans than the people who literally feed into their whole system. Like that, that's one thing that's like, wow. Like <laughs> I, I don't know the sheer numbers for like, you know, who, how many people are minorities in the, the NFL or how many people are minorities. They wouldn't have no teams. I can tell you that. <laughs> part about it is it's like, I can't imagine being a black player who who feel these who feels these issues and knowing that like I mean it's kind of how like how we feel knowing that the system that you yeah you work for and the system that your whole livelihood comes from doesn't care about you but about the Cowboys you know what bothered me more than say them uh, making this roar what bothered me more than what the Cowboys uh, owner said. What bothered which part? What bothered me more was the quarterback. Oh my dad Prescott. A black <laughs> going out uh-huh. and literally doing what feels to me and what I can imagine feels to the people who, you know, care about mm-hmm. the kneel and who who did kneel or who did, you know, stand with the movement that Kaepernick started is the fact that mm-hmm. it felt like he literally just like kicked it. Took the crap on it. Yeah, like you know that people, the people who argue against movements like this, or who people who argue against the issues that we face, literally, like they just wait to have their token black person where they can say that, look at him, mm-hmm. he doesn't feel this way. Look at him, he like, mm-hmm. like there are a lot of things that are detrimental to any kind of movement we that we have. But that felt mm-hmm. the biggest blow. Like, uh, I was like, yeah, that definitely bothered me more than what, you know, that even the rule. Because it's just like, if we stay- Probably because you didn't expect it from him. Like, you expect it from the owners. Yeah. You expect it from, like, society even. But you don't expect it from yes. someone who should know what you're going through. <laughs> yes. If we don't stand together, like, what is it saying? United, we stand uh, divided we fall yeah, divided we fall and like just knowing knowing people who you know who who will try their best to negate anything that we feel or negate anything that we the struggles that we face that just felt like yeah. I mean number one it felt I can imagine for the players to have their their owners to have the people who run the NFL pretty much just say like hey I mean you have problems, okay, but uh, not on our field, you know, or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine how that feels. I mean, I didn't expect any less, so I wasn't shocked. But, yeah, it's definitely frustrating because it's like you want the people who have the most visibility, who have the most uh, influence to be able to speak up and uh, use it. And places where they will make the most impact is where, you know, that, I mean, if a football player is going to make any impact, it's going to be when he's on the field. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. people are going to hear him out the most. It's going to be when they're, all eyes are on them anyway. So it's like it's like the music industry started telling uh, musicians, you know, you can, you can have any of these problems and you can talk about any of these problems, but don't put it on the record or I don't know. It just felt like mm-hmm. they took one more piece of power back. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, yeah, if they can silence us. They will. You know, I, I had to be reminded that like 
because obviously we weren't there when like the 60s civil rights movement right yeah so when we look at it in history it seems like it was a big movement by the majority of the people Mm. but really that wasn't true it was really like fewer people doing like bigger things you know yeah so like sometimes I have to remember that like yeah like we have Kaepernick we have like Reed we have like you, you you know LeBron James and everyday people you have everyday people like trying to make a difference but then you have that Dak Prescott yeah everybody's not everybody was like, part of the ain't gonna be supportive pretty much yeah 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 and I have to remember that because history tells you one thing and we know how his like they say anything in history. <laughs> girl, girl. But when you actually look at it, because I guarantee you, when we look back on this, when we're like old or whatever, you know, older, Colin Kaepernick is going to be viewed as a hero. Oh. I guarantee it. And people are going to be celebrating him like Muhammad Ali. Now, yeah. Because like you said, if you look back then, they really didn't care for none of these people. And now, you know, they're token Everybody wants to uh, put out an MLK quote or whatever, but when he was alive, I was trying to kill him. Like, uh-huh, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I have to remember that. And I, I think about that now. Like, I try to make differences, like, the ways I can. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing, like you said, like, for me, like, what, like, disappointed me is I feel like if even, like, half of the Black athletes decided not to play a week or two, I think that would make a difference. But at the same time, I feel like, look at me, I'm in the military. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I haven't risked kneeling yet doing a national anthem. I haven't done it. Oh, no. So I can't, expe- I can't expect them to do something I haven't done yet. And also, I can't pay their bills. I can't deal with like the repercussions that they may have to face. Oh, yeah. So I like, I have to look at it from both ways. That's true. And it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Especially, like, when you want to do more and you don't know what to do next. Yeah. I mean, that's real. I always feel like, though, it's kind of... I don't know why it reminds me of this quote, but it's like, if you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. And I feel like... Oh, my dad used to say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it goes for me. For, say, with anything where people are fighting for issues or they're fighting for struggles or whatever I feel like you do a worse you do more of an injustice oh. by speaking against something or not even speaking against right something. right you know, know kind of invalidating it then if you would just don't mm-hmm. say nothing at all like he could just if somebody asks you something and you if he feels this way at all if he feels like you know these struggles that we're everyone's talking about and everyone's feeling if he feels they're like Valid or whatever. Like what made him say it? Yeah. Why did he have to say it? But you know, some people, I do feel because although cause he, they say like Cowboys, Americans team, we're not going to kneel. But am I not American? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Like, am I not a troop? Am I not American? Like, what? <laughs> exactly. It goes back to what you were saying. Straight white men. Mm. Yeah. That's it. I'm glad you added in the straight thing because they are, you know, LGBT community. <laughs> Everybody got stuff going. I think it's important to note. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. One more question. Actually, 
You said you were going to start like, easy questions, and I feel like you didn't. <laughs> the easy question was, where are you from? Why did you join? Wow. <laughs> you led me right to slaughter. <laughs> I mean, actually, you you know what? I had all these notes like down on my notepad. Yeah. And then as you were talking, I was like, yep, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Hello, ma'am. <laughs> my face right now. <laughs> it just I'm cut so off. Cool. It just cut off. <laughs> I am literally so over this internet right now. I need a refund. I know it was like three weeks. dollars a month internet. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely <laughs> going to figure out how to not pay $98 because this is just as bad as the 60 <laughs> okay let me do these last two questions all right these are easier though for real I promise okay okay cool <laughs> so before we talked about so this was before the afi change on dress and appearance we were talking about our hair right yes and chief Master sergeant Wright just added to the afi and said that women can have lots now yeah. And we can have less than an inch of hair. <laughs> yeah. As soon as that happened, I was like, we just talked about this. We just talked about yeah. our struggles with hair. <laughs> Being black women in the military and struggles with like just, you know, our hair. <laughs> yes. So how do you feel about the change? That oh, you know. I ain't gonna say this because I want too many people to be offended, but there's a certain nickname that we give Chief Wright. And I don't know if you've seen that nickname, but if you haven't, I want you to look it up. But that I have not seen that nickname. Was I'm beautiful. Have to look it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you know, I don't like I don't like say nothing too crazy. But uh-huh. I, that that literally and it's such a small thing. I feel like, you know, uh, it's so small, but I was so happy. Even though I'm about to separate soon, I was so happy. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's not that well no for us it's huge but it's such a small gesture that the Air Force could have been done but glad that they did now but it's huge for us because hair is such either having hair not having hair how we do our hair and like you know the way that we present ourselves the history the whole history of our hair it's big it's big for our culture you know what I mean it's big for a lot of different cultures and stuff but like black women in our hair like not having the attack on our hair is what you know what it feels like when uh, the standards don't they don't give room for us you know what I mean it feels like an attack even if it's a rule just because they didn't consider us like it feels like like wow no, you it's an attack because it w- it's an attack because if it if it wasn't in the rule book then it means they did consider us or they didn't consider us but since it's a, since it was a rule that mean they did consider it <laughs> yeah and they consider it to be something wrong with it true yeah having our hair look like oh we're unprofessional or we oh it looks unkempt or whatever it is like mm-hmm. having knowing people who literally came into the air force which you know you can speak on that came into the air force Man. <laughs> having with my locks, hair I had to cut my locks yeah. yeah yeah like that's huge you know yeah, and it feels like some kind of assimilation. Like I, I get you have to kind of change for the uh, for the culture for our mm-hmm. workplace culture, but it felt like some kind of like this is a reach, but like some POW stuff. Like if you got to <laughs> literally, you know, it's like taking a, that part of you. Like nah, you belong to us now. Like leave uh-huh. that culture, like you know, at home or whatever it is. I don't know. I, I think it's huge. I literally 
when I saw it the, a few weeks before it became official, official, I was like, if y'all playing with me right now, like, you really gonna break I know, my- I thought, because it was on one, like, one of those, like, little joke, you know, Facebook things, and I saw it, I was like, I was like, somebody trolling me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they playing with me. I had to, I, I was, go- I went on Google so fast. <laughs> it won't be the year that you're getting out, but I think even if I don't, I know that's why I thought I was being trolled. <laughs> it would be, but it's like even if I don't get, but I'm still happy though. Like I'm still super happy. It's still big. If I literally see a girl walk around with her little starter dress right now, I'm gonna be like, "My, I see you." Hey, I'm already got. I already got my. As soon as I, as soon as I saw that it was gonna be official, I was like, "Let me go get these locks <laughs> for my last." Few months. Got- I don't care. I already started. I already started. It's been locked <gasps> up as we speak. <laughs> How you just go drop, drop that in there like that? I didn't even know. <laughs> hey, I had to take advantage of my last few months. Yeah. <laughs> and that the is... other thing, too, is uh, we can have, like, less than an inch of hair now. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe that's, like, maybe you never wanted to fade, but I really wanted to fade at one point, too. Because I was like, well, if I can't have my locks, then I want my hair low. Yeah. Because, like, this 4C hair is hard to maintain, okay? It's true. Because, <laughs> like, this is, like, a win for, like, you know, black girls everywhere, not only for just being black and having our hair be acceptable in ways that, you know, are normal for our culture, but also being able to have short hair is, like, all right, now out with your little weird woman standards where, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a hit to the patriarchy as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, that's super dope. I'm literally so in love with that. And I think it, it's great to have, because I don't know who pushed for that the most, but it's great to have that announcement come from, like, you know, Chief Right, and just to know that we have mm-hmm. somebody who is at the top. Because there's one thing to have somebody who looks like you at the top or who you relate to at the top, but it's one thing, it's another thing to have them relate to you and them to maintain uh values that say they care about you know the people mm-hmm. where they come from because you know you have some people they get up in high power or whatever and then they like they care more about staying in that position than uh yeah yeah doing any work to help you know better the people who look like them or who or the people that they care about so that's huge i think that's, I think that's the thing though that i think that's why commanders change posts every two years i think yeah. that's why like you know chief as a sergeant change every every like few years you know yeah. So in that instance, it's like really good. Heck yeah! But I kind I kind of like seeing it slowly change because like you know before they took the dressing appearance, they took out like the unkept and and they allowed like two strands and you know just smaller things. Yeah. It still wasn't quite what I needed, but it was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the um who who allowed? I think Marines and Army allowed locks first. Yeah. I was like, oh, if the Army doing it, we next. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, they, they care about their little dress and whatever. I mean, I know we look pretty decent in our uniform, but Marines and stuff like that. They oh are- yeah, yeah, <laughs> the Marine boy. True. <laughs> yeah, I think that's super dope, man. That was so exciting, and like every other year, I say I, I can't wait to dread my hair up. So I don't know if I'm there yet. But to know Take that- baby step. You can just get it twisted. Keep getting it twisted. Wash it out, you know, until you decide. True. <laughs> It'll have to be permanent. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> super super dope. Yeah. I'm really happy. like I'm really happy. Even though I'm separating like pretty soon. I'm like I'm I'm super happy. 
I'm oh. telling you, as soon as I as soon as I saw it, I was like, let me go to the salon and get my locks back. <laughs> oh, I cannot believe you just telling me this now though. Like this is great for your little podcast or whatever, but <laughs> it's supposed to be cool. You that's big news. <laughs> I was happy. I was happy. Like I promise you, like the weekend after I read the like the AFI, I was like, oh, in there. It's time. You ain't gonna tell me twice. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> all right. So we're at the end. Um, what are your future goals? Are you planning to stand in the military? You wanna get out? Mm-hmm. Um, you plan on cross training? Yeah. What, yeah. Do you, what do you have? You hit all my three. I I, really, <laughs> I mean the end goal is to definitely be out of the Air Force and to be pursuing other ventures. So I always I kind of flip back on what I wanna do. Like you know, I was um pursuing the medical field for a little bit and I had my little hand in that but um honestly my biggest thing is I want to number one feel like the work that I'm doing every day is like in line with my values so for mm. for me that means number one is being financially independent mm-hmm. outside of the military like it's definitely outside of the military like I know financially I, I'm very stable right now or whatever being in the military but my end game is to use this experience and use, you know, the sacrifice that we did take to to do what we are doing and take that and then be grateful for it, but move on. Like, so my definite end goal is to be out of the military. My aspirations is hopefully just to be doing something, like I said, that's in line with my goals. So I want to be able to help the people I care about. I want to be able to share what I've learned and share the stuff that helps me with others. So I see myself doing some kind of like entrepreneurial, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like I wouldn't even say charity work, but like community work. So some kind of community organizing or community education for like mm-hmm. minorities or lower income people. So I don't know. I see myself all over the place, but at the end of the day, I just want to be comfortable financially and then also being able to give back. So whether that be me, you know, doing a healthcare field and being able to teach people how to live a healthier life or help people live a healthier life or whatever it is. I know that's going to be outside of the military. And I know that I'm, that's my end goal. So just making sure that, you okay. know, that I, I don't know if I hit that right, but yeah. So I think next, the next couple of steps will be going back to school for sure. Like I'm supposed to be studying business right now, but hopefully getting back into that before I separate and hopefully getting mm-hmm. that degree under my belt. But definitely after I separate, going back to school. Learning. I need you to have your degree before you get out. Okay? Girl, I know. You went- <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that out of my heart, you know, from my heart. Because, you know, we see so many people who say, like, they're going to get out, but then they don't have plans and they end up back in the same situation that they came in with. Yeah. I don't need you to be one of those people. Girl, yes, preach to me. But you know what? That's one thing about me is that you know you can have a conscience and you can have uh you can have aspirations, you can have whatever it is, but you need to make sure you you make smart moves and you make decisions that make sense. Yeah. So it's like if I'm if I'm dropping the ball right now, I can say all day that I want to get out the military, but at the same at the same time, it's like I need to be doing what I'm supposed to do to set that up because if I'm not then knowing me, I'm going to be in and I'm going to be miserable. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I ain't going nowhere if I'm going to be uh, 
broke and struggling and just, you know, miserable on the outside too. So like, yeah, I totally hear that. I need to get this degree under my belt and I also need to get a solid plan. And that just starts with, you know, making sure that every day what I'm doing now is in that direction, you know, or on that path. And I'll be doing a whole bunch of foolishness, like dropping classes and all that stuff that I be doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the listeners to think you like not doing anything. She actually had another job while she was also active in the military full time, um, trying to see what she wanted to do. And it just didn't work out for her. Yeah. And now she's just trying to find the next step. So that's good. Yeah. You are like progressing. Don't think you're not progressing just because you're not at your end game yet, you know? Yeah, and it can feel like that. And I think young people, all of anybody who, you know, either hears this or young people who are in the same situation as us, it's like what she just said is huge to remember. Like, if you, you know, you got your head in the right place and you're taking the steps and you're planning and you're you're trying things out, just because you tried something out, like how you were talking about earlier, how, you know, (laughs) that you knew before that you wanted to either do you know, criminal justice or be a veterinarian or whatever it is. It's like trying this. This is not a failure. This is a learning experience. Yeah, and for sure. You are, you know, keeping. I definitely feel like I can look back now with like absolutely no regrets. Yeah, like, I learned a lot, especially like you know in our career field. Like I literally feel like I can do anything. And once I go back to school to be a veterinarian, like I'm not even scared. Like before, I was young and I was scared to fail. Like I'm not. I'm not afraid. <laughs> So, say so fail yeah, again, girl. like fail, fail again, fail better. If you failing, mm-hmm. ain't nothing wrong with not, you know, you're not going to succeed in everything you do. And I think that's huge for, I would say for young black people too, is just remember that, you know, what, what you're going through right now, or what you're doing now, as long as you, you are trying and you're moving forward, like take everything and learn and sh- like as a learning experience and just keep moving forward and don't get too stressed out because that stress will kill you. It will. It will. Yeah. Well, thank you, ma'am, for this wonderful interview with your janky Wi-Fi. That's okay. (laughs) I appreciate you. I really appreciate you, like, taking the time, especially being overseas, taking the time to do this podcast for the second time. (laughs) Hopefully they can hear, you know, hopefully this will work out, you know. I think it will. I think it'll be perfect. Um, And, I mean, it'll be some little down spots of where we got disconnected. But that's okay. I think it's definitely worth it, especially like hearing your perspective on things and just seeing how you grow. So thank you. (laughs) If any of my listeners have any questions or uh, like follow up, you can contact me at mewilliamsbooks at gmail.com. And then I can get it to this lovely airman. Or if you have any questions for me, that's fine too. If you would like to be interviewed, um, I am on Facebook again, mewilliamsbooks. And also through email. So feel free to like leave any type of comments. I don't mind. I'm pretty open. And thank you for listening to the American Dream Isn't Real. This segment is support our white troops. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for having me.